Well, dear friends, it's such a privilege and a joy to be with you to share God's Word today uh, from Matthew chapter 13. How to keep speaking God's Word when we're discouraged by the results. I wonder, have you ever been discouraged or underwhelmed by the fruit of speaking God's Word? You know, people just don't understand or they don't want to understand, or they understand it, but then they just flat out reject it and you in the process. It's confusing and often painful. And we live in a time when many Australians don't seem very keen to hear what God has to say. It's like the only social sin that we can commit at times is to begin a sentence like, the Bible says. It's almost anathema. Now, perhaps you've experienced that in conversations with your friends, with your family. It's hard work. In Christian, in, in Chilean society, sorry, there, there's been a, a move in the last decade or so away from Christianity and towards secular ideals. You know, health, wealth, and the South American dream have replaced what might have once been a thin Christian veneer. More than ever, it seems that Australians and Chileans alike are disinterested in hearing what God has to say. It can feel a little bit like that whack-a-mole game uh, at the circus or at the fair. You know, you put your head up only to have it whacked straight back down again. Where can we find encouragement to keep speaking in such a context? Uh, How can we be spurred on? to keep speaking about Jesus and him crucified in our our schools, in our universities, in our workplaces, uh, in our families. Matthew 13 holds out great encouragement for people like you and me. It reminds us of the central truth that God's word will reap its harvest. So in the context here, we're in the third of Jesus' five major speeches in Matthew's gospel. And this one is known as the parables discourse because, surprise, surprise, it's full of parables. Uh, In our text today, we have three sections. Uh, Chapter 13, verses 1 to 9, the parable itself. Verses 10 to 17, an explanation for why Jesus spoke in parables. And in verses 18 to 23, the explanation of the parables to the disciples inside the house. Now, a parable is is more than an illustration or a nice story. Uh, Jesus takes everyday things from the world around to explain, to reveal, to proclaim the coming kingdom of God. But first, point one, why did Jesus speak in parables? Uh, To answer that question, we can focus on verses 10 to 17. It's a question the disciples themselves have. Have a look at verse 10. The disciples come to him and ask, why do you speak to the people in parables? When Jesus replied, uh, what comes after, we see the, the role parables have in Jesus' teaching. Firstly, to draw disciples in. Uh, those who seek to understand will find clarity and illumination and understanding. Verses 11 to 12. But secondly, to Harden outsiders, uh, which links to God's judgment. It's to keep the people out as a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophet's words in verses 13 to 15. We've got to draw disciples in 
and to harden outsiders, and thirdly, to highlight to us all that God is the one who gifts understanding. God is the one who reveals his kingdom. The parables highlight the need for God to reveal the kingdom. You see, you can't find the kingdom of God in in some sort of science experiment or at the bottom of a test tube. It must be revealed to God for us. Uh, Sometimes, you know, when Steph and I want to say something in front of the kids without them knowing, uh, sometimes we say it in Spanish, uh, which isn't working so well now because the kids have very good Spanish now, but it used to work. Uh, The problem is the kids understand us now. Uh, We speak in this way, or we used to speak in this way, to try and make it hard for them to understand what we were talking about. Uh, Maybe we were talking about something that we didn't want them to know about, like uh, in the car on the way. Should we get ice creams on the way home or desserts? Yeah, just so we could keep it a surprise maybe for them to be revealed at the right time, or just so we can avoid fielding the inevitable million questions that would follow. I wonder how you feel when you don't know something, when you're on the outside of a joke or or a riddle. It's hard, isn't it? Like a riddle or or a cryptic question in a crossword or a game. For me personally, I I just give up and uh, go and find something else to do, and, and so I never discover the answer. Uh, But there are others amongst us who love to pay attention, think hard, ask questions, follow the clues, and so they find the answer. And Jesus' parables are a little bit like this. If we're humble enough to listen, we will find understanding. Jesus tells his disciples in verse 16 after explaining this, Blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people, that's the Old Testament people, longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. The parables play an important part in revealing and proclaiming the coming kingdom of God. Now the kingdom of God, we know, is not a matter of intelligence or smarts, but rather a matter of humility in receiving now, don't you ever think it's interesting that so many of the world's smartest and most intelligent people can't seem to even understand even the most basic things of Christ and his kingdom? You see, the kingdom is not a matter of intelligence or smart, but rather a matter of humility in receiving. And Jesus' parables reveal the timing and the ways of God's kingdom. They draw in disciples who by faith seek understanding and harden those who reject and seek to remain outside. Now, we want to hear the encouragement of this parable for us today. And we want to focus on the parable of the sower. And we read in verses 1 and 2 in your Bible. I hope you've got it open there. Verses 1 and 2. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake, and such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Here's the setting. A large crowd is gathered to hear Jesus. And we see two groups emerge here. We we meet the disciples, to whom Jesus will explain the parable later on. And the crowds, on the other hand, to whom the secret of understanding here isn't given. In the context, Jesus has preached the the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 to 7. He's done miraculous deeds and healings in in chapter 8 and 9. He's preached his mission sermon, chapter 10, and he's evoked all kinds of responses, various responses to his ministry. 
chapters 11 and 12. The context helps us to see that the clash between Jesus and the religious leaders who ask for a sign in chapter 12. Jesus is revealing the coming kingdom of God in contrast to the religious leaders who are more interested in their own kingdom based in human rules and regulations. Jesus is the one who proclaims the coming kingdom of God and who proclaims God's kingdom and later charges his disciples to speak that same truth. At the end of Matthew's gospel, we have that great section, memorable section, the great commission, that Jesus is the one who has all authority on heaven and on earth. And therefore, the charge is to go and make disciples through teaching them about all the things Jesus said, disciples of all nations. And Jesus' parables here offer deep encouragement to continue in that work, continue speaking God's message despite the response or the fruit that may follow. And so the parable itself, the parable of the sower itself. Uh, I've often heard this parable referred to as the parable of the four soils, uh, and I can understand why. But I don't think that helps us to understand Jesus' point here. It's not so much about the soils as it is about the sower. He told them many things in parables, verse 3, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And later in the passage, Jesus refers to this when explaining it to his disciples as the parable of the sower. The point is about what it means to be a true disciple or follower of Jesus and to explain the various responses to Jesus and his gospel. The point is not so much which type of soil I am, but rather to remind us that God's word will reap its harvest. So let's focus on those four responses that Jesus teaches in his well-known parable. Uh, Now I am a true city slicker in every sense of the word. I was born in Sydney. I live with my family in Santiago, a very big city in Chile, We live in an apartment and I'm a hopeless gardener. Uh, If I see a green plant, I could kill it within a week. No problems. Guaranteed 100% of the time. Uh, So I'm not about to stand here and tell the farmers and the croppers of regional New South Wales, uh, the soil experts, about soils and harvests and fruit and agriculture. But fortunately for me, Jesus' parable isn't really about agriculture. It's about gospel proclamation. And uh, for me, that's more in my wheelhouse of expertise. Jesus explains his parable for us within the context of Matthew 13 itself. And, And as the disciples heard an explanation, we too are invited with them into the room to hear the explanation of Jesus. We're left clear, unlike the crowds, about what this parable means. So we read in verse 3, A farmer went out to sow seed, and we meet the first soil, soil one, the path. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. In verse 18, Jesus explains, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Soil one, the path. Soil two, rocky places. Verse five, some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. 
But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Verse 20 explains, The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time, and when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Soil 1, the path. Soil 2, rocky ground. Soil 3, thorns. Other seed, verse 7, fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Verse 22 explains the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. These first three responses to the gospel are very discouraging for the sower. And so the final picture provides the encouragement to keep sowing the seed, to keep preaching the message. Soil for the good soil. Verse 8, still other seed fell on the good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, ears, let them hear. The explanation in verse 23 follows, the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. The final soil, in contrast to those first three, reaps an unusually large harvest, bigger than any farmer would have been planning for or could expect. Soil four is the encouragement to keep sowing the seed, to keep spreading the word, despite the hard work and the disappointments of the other three. Now, I can't pretend to understand what it's like to be a farmer in a drought. I praise God for the rain. Uh, all the difficulties of disease and weeds and the stress of the crop that never comes or is destroyed in some way. But many of you know that pain or know people who know that pain firsthand. The meaning of this parable is clear and obvious because Jesus explains it to us. Like the disciples then and there, we can hear the meaning and understand it here and now. I don't really need to say much about these soils in explaining them. I think Jesus' parable is very clear. He explains it for us. So the point for us is, well, what does this mean for us here and now? The point for us now and for them then. Firstly, Jesus' parable explains his own ministry. Jesus' parable explains his own ministry. He is the one who sows seed. And we see in the gospel accounts all of these responses, various responses to Jesus' teaching and preaching, various responses that follow from his ministry. He is the faithful farmer or sower who, who despite the opposition and the hardship, sows the seed faithfully and fruitfully. His preaching ultimately led to his rejection and execution, but what a crop that followed. Now, 2,000 years plus of gospel proclamation to the ends of the earth. The gospel has made it to Australia, to Chile, a kingdom that expands across the world as God's people speak God's word empowered by God's spirit. As God's message is spoken and heard and received, and believe the kingdom advances. 
Jesus' parable explains, firstly, his own ministry. But secondly, Jesus' parable here explains the ministry of the apostles to come. The ministry of the apostles to come. Jesus' disciples, once empowered with the Holy Spirit, after his resurrection, spread and sow the seed. They preach the message of the kingdom in all sorts of places, in various ways, and, and, and through their ministry. We see various responses. You can read about some of these responses in in the account of Acts. You can see the opposition to and the fruit that flowed from their preaching. Secondly, Jesus' parable helps us understand the ministry of his apostles to come after. And thirdly, Jesus' parable explains the ministry of God's people now. So now in our time, this parable helps us to understand the ministry of God's people now. That is, preaching, sharing, speaking the word of God in all sorts of different contexts and the various responses that come. This parable ultimately helps us not to be discouraged or disheartened from sowing, from from preaching, from, from sharing, from speaking. God's word, but rather to press on in speaking God's word, knowing that in the in his control the harvest will come. The fruit and the outcome are guaranteed because God is the one who is ultimately in control. In his hands, our seemingly weak and feeble words and efforts can reap a harvest for him and his kingdom in even the hardest places. You see, it's this kind of confidence that drives us to speak God's word in Chile and in Orange and in the surrounds, in whatever place we can, that knowing that our feeble words and our small efforts in the hands of the master will bring about a great harvest. So the big idea for us today, the take-home message for you and for me, is that God's word will reap its harvest. So let us commit to sowing it, to spreading it as far and as wide as we can. Amen.